That's ready. We're in the countdown to Easter. We're basically about 10 days away uh, from the celebration of the resurrection. It's coming. We've been counting down. And in me, my thoughts of what I wanted us to, or what I felt the Lord wanted us to sort of dig into tonight, uh, I thought that this particular story, this particular passage is sort of a perfect precursor as we're leading into Easter, as we'll celebrate Palm Sunday this Sunday and then uh, get ready for the uh, resurrection celebration coming. It's a story that's pretty familiar if you've been a part of the kingdom, if you've been in church, you've probably heard a lot of it. I just want us to look at it, maybe point out some things that maybe you've missed or some things we haven't thought about. It's a story of a guy named Lazarus. Y'all familiar with Lazarus? Well, if you're not, you will be after tonight because we're going to dig in and we're going to look at and examine this incredible story that is just an incredible picture. Jesus couldn't have picked a better way to, to even show the doubters, to show everyone around him exactly what he came to do and what his purpose was. Even before we celebrate what happened to Jesus, which is the ultimate resurrection, Jesus literally showed them what it was going to look like through Lazarus. You know, sometimes people think, man, it was it must have been so great, must have blew their mind. And I'm sure it was. The resurrection is the greatest miracle to ever happen here on earth. But can you imagine that it, 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 Jesus sort of foreshadowed it? He sort of spoiled it? You all know what I mean by a spoiler? Anybody like to watch movies or, or anything and or TV shows and, you know, something's come out and you haven't seen it yet and somebody comes and talks to you and immediately you know they're ready to tell you what happens? Anybody ever know those people? It's okay if you do. It's just a moment. Some people come and talk to me. Oh, I went and watched this movie, and real quick, I'm like, spoiler alert! I don't want to know. I, I, I don't. I haven't seen it yet. I'm I'm old. I have kids, and I work a lot. You know, it takes me a minute. I'm a little bit behind. I'm usually six months behind. Don't spoil it. Don't tell me. Any of y'all like that? Now, some of y'all may be like me, and you go ahead and read the spoilers before you watch it, right? Well, anyway, I'm saying all that to say this, Jesus kind of in some ways was trying to spoil what he was going to do by giving it away, and a lot of people didn't recognize it, and that's some of what I want to talk to you about tonight. Let's go to chapter 11, verse 1. There was a certain man, now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. Now, here's the interesting thing when it comes to Lazarus. If you look at Lazarus in Hebrew, the Hebrew word for, for Lazarus was Eliezer, which uh, translates to mean God my helper. Everybody say help. His very name was God my helper. And, and from everything we can study in Scripture, Lazarus was someone who loved the Lord and he lived a life that was pleasing to the Lord and he became a very close friend of Jesus very early on in his ministry. And so this is, this is what happens. He became sick. And in verse 2, it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Now, I think this is interesting. Let me, let me read the next verse before I stop and we will never get done. Therefore, the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is what? All right. So before we can even go any further in this story, I think there's something very powerful in just this right here. You're like, well, what's powerful? We just read about a man and he's sick. But this wasn't just a man. Notice how that scripture said. It said that Lazarus was one who he loved. 
Not only did he love Lazarus, but Lazarus' sister Mary had, had already sort of made waves in the Scripture. She had, she had broken in a very expensive bottle of perfume and wiped it on Jesus' feet and anointed him when people thought she was crazy. He apparently had a love and a desire for, or she apparently loved the being in the presence of Jesus and loved him enough that she was willing to, to sort of pour expensive perfume to show her love lavishly. Are y'all with me? If anybody on this earth was close to Jesus, that Jesus loved, that Jesus wanted to take care of, it would have been Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, at least in my mind. Does that make sense? Are you all on the same page with me? Okay, just want to make sure I'm not crazy. All of these things happened, yet what happened? He was... Now, some of y'all already don't get spiritual on me and start thinking I'm trying to be negative or anything like that. But here's here's the, the thing that the Lord sort of illuminated right there. You understand that sometimes the, you can be loved by the Lord. You can be in the center of God's will. You can be the apple of His eye. You can be the head and not the tail. You can be His creation and still have to go through stuff. If you didn't know that, I'm not trying to, again, rain on your parade as you heard me say. I'm not trying to spoil your... I'm telling you that, that in life, we're all going to have to endure stuff at some point. We're all going to have to endure. And sickness is an example of that. Now listen, I'm thankful that, that by the blood of Jesus and what the Bible tells us, that we're healed by His stripes, we can walk and we can proclaim healing. Amen? But there will come a point in our lives where we're going to have to face something in our lives, Right? Nothing's going to be perfect all the time. And, and so I want to make sure we understand. I think that's the powerful thing of this story right away. We're seeing somebody who was close with Jesus, who had a relationship with Jesus, who Jesus literally says he loved, yet there was still junk that he was going to have to endure. So let me encourage somebody today, before I even get to the real train of thought, this is a side note, and I promise we won't do this too much tonight. We'll get out of here, okay? But let me, can I encourage some of you today? Some of you, the enemy's gotten in your mind and said, what you're going through must be a sign that Jesus doesn't really love you. What you're going through is a sign that you've messed up, that you've slipped up, that you have done something in your life to cause Jesus not to, not to care about you anymore. I'm here to tell you and proclaim as strong as I can through the power of God that's on the inside of me that the devil is a liar. I'm here to tell you that you can't go too far that his grace won't extend to. You can't run out of the blood that he shed on Calvary. Amen? There's enough that can cover a multitude of sins for everybody that's in here. Amen? There's enough blood that He shed to cover everything that I'm going to face. Amen? So don't think that just because you're going through a hard time that there's something wrong with you. No, Jesus, even though He loved Lazarus, Lazarus was about to endure something that was tragic. Okay? You're saying, you're encouraging me by telling you that? Yes! I'm encouraging to tell you, if you think that you're in the darkest battle you've ever faced, have faith because God's about to do one of the greatest miracles He's ever done for you. Amen? All right. I'm getting too excited right away, but I want to point out something. Lazarus had to deal with sickness. He was loved by the Lord, but he was smitten with sickness. Through some cause or another, soul sickness is almost invariably the prelude to an enlarged and deeper spiritual blessing. Here's what I want to show you tonight, is that this, this journey that Lazarus had to go on was a perfect parallel to the spiritual battle that we're all going to face in our life. And maybe I use the word battle. I may change that word. 
It's a prelude to the spiritual journey that you and I are all going to go through if we're walking with Jesus in the kingdom. Everybody with me? It begins with your soul becoming sick. You're thinking, what? Well, what does the Bible say? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Once you're born into this life, you're born as a sinner. Everybody understand that? Again, I know, I'm just sensing this. Let me say it. I know you're thinking, man, PB, you're really encouraging me right now. Talking about being sick and bad things happening to me. But I'm here to tell you, you it's a good thing because, you know, the old adage goes, you, don't, you can't solve a problem until you acknowledge that you have a... Y'all with me? Until we acknowledge and get to a place where we realize our soul is sick and it's messed up, then guess what? We never can come to a realization that we need to be healed. Until we come to the realization there's something wrong with our soul and we need to be saved, guess what? We can't be saved. We're all going to go through a journey where like Lazarus, we're going to get sick. Our soul is going to get into a season and get into a spot and get into a place where we realize, you know what? There's something wrong. Sure, God loves everybody that's on this earth. He loved you from the day you were born, amen? But the day you were born, you were born a sinner. So God loved you, but until you understood there was something wrong with you, you couldn't see Jesus for who He really was. You couldn't have a relationship with God the way that it really needed to be. You have to come to a a place where you realize, my soul is sick and it needs to be healed and it needs to be restored. Y'all with me? So let's move forward. Verse 4. So Jesus heard that. He heard that Lazarus was sick. And he made a proclamation. He said, this sickness is not unto death. For the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Y'all seeing there's some hope here? You were born a sinner. You were born in a place where if, if you, when you come onto this earth and God looks at your soul, He sees something that's sick. He sees something that's dark. He sees something that's messed up. But I'm here to tell you, He didn't look at me when I was born and said, that boy is messed up. He's been born in the sin. But He looked at me and said, there's still work for Him to do and I can be glorified in His life. I don't know about you, but maybe again, the enemy's been beating you up and say, man, I'm going too far gone. I'm here to tell you, the enemy again is lying to you. You're not too far gone. Blessed be his name for that sickness which brings us down to the place of death. Guess what? The Son of Man might be glorified in doing a marvelous work in us and for us. The Holy Spirit must convince of sin before he quickens us in the newness of life. How many of you are glad about that? In your life, there came a point where if you're here and you've given your life to God, you didn't just wake up one day and it was just magic and say, oh, maybe I'll try Jesus. No, there was a journey that led you there. Y'all with me? There was a moment where you lived the way that the flesh lives. You lived your life the way that you thought you were supposed to live. You, you did the things everybody else in the world's doing, right? You tried to appease yourself and you did what felt good and you did what sort of looked good in the moment and, and anything that your flesh said that it wanted. Oh, the little lust over here, yeah, that feels good. The little substance over here, this feels good. A little bit of lying, a little bit of cheating, a little bit of trying to get ahead, right? And ultimately, we, we come to a point where we realize that's not the way that we were designed to live. We realize that that journey in trying to feed and sort of quench every thirst and hunger that our flesh has, we realize that it becomes destructive, that it isn't good, that it isn't going to satisfy us, right? And so we get to a point where we realize, man, there isn't anything that's good, and then the Holy Spirit begins to work on our heart. And there's a thing that comes about that's called conviction, Right? 
It's a thing that says, guess what? All those things I was doing, those aren't right. I'm feeling, I need something else. And the Holy Spirit begins to convict. And it says, hey, there is something you need. You needed it from the moment that you were born. You need a Savior. You need a Savior to reconcile you with your Creator. You need that bridge that the cross provided that allowed you to reconnect with God and to fill that spot in your heart. Amen? And in that moment, you were reckoned into the kingdom. You asked Jesus to become your Savior. That's a process. But here's the thing. You can't come to repentance unless you come to that part where you realize you're wrong. If I don't think I'm wrong, then I won't ever submit my life to Jesus because I don't need Jesus. I only recognize that I can hold on to Jesus when I realize I, don't, I can't do it on my own. Does this make sense? The Holy Spirit has to convince us of sin. And the beauty of it is the Holy Spirit's going to do that because God's going to receive glory. Let's, let's move on. It begins with the sickness. And so now, verse 5, Jesus, He loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when He heard that He was sick, He stayed two more days in the place where He was. Again, that, that never has made sense to me, right? We think, oh, He heard Lazarus was sick, so he, I need to get on to Lazarus, right? No, he said, I'm going to just, just wait two more days. I'm just going to hang out. Then in verse 7, after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to him, he said, listen, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I'm going so I can wake him up. The disciples obviously didn't understand what he meant. They're like, well, Jesus, don't we all sleep every night? If he's asleep, he's going to get well. Let him rest. But Jesus was speaking of his death. They thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. And so in verse 14, Jesus had to tell them plainly, as he often did, as he often has to do to me. Sometimes he has to give me the Cliff Notes version and just put it out there plain. He said, listen, Lazarus is dead. This is the second step that we have to go to in our spiritual journey. It begins with the point where you realize, and as I said, that your soul is sick. But ultimately, that sickness has to lead to, to that avenue, that area of your life. It's going to eventually need to die. Again, all of y'all looking at me like, man, I thought you were saying encouraging stuff. I promise this is encouraging. We're getting there. Jesus said that the sickness wasn't in the death, but now Lazarus has died. Was Jesus lying? No, Jesus said, I, I promise you there's got to be glory, but the glory has to follow the process. Your soul has to get to a point where not only does you understand that it's sick, which means that you, you get to the place where all of those things, all that sin, all that thing you're trying to feed your flesh, it's just, it, it's not working. Your soul gets weary, it gets, it gets fatigued, but eventually that aspect, that old man has to die. The sickness wasn't unto internal death, but it was unto that death which in a very singular way made Lazarus a fit subject for the resurrecting power of the Son of God. You understand that? Jesus was about to fully show His power, but He couldn't just do that to a sick man. Jesus, in order to show that He was the true resurrection in the life, had to deal with somebody who died. 
Real sin sickness is only unto the death of self-love and self-will that the power of Christ may be manifested. Do you understand something? All of you in here, I bet if we were to look at your testimony, if you've walked in this thing long enough, there came a point where you had to realize my soul is sick and I need something. That's what the Holy Spirit used to get you to begin to chase after Jesus, right? But you see, once you met Jesus, Jesus said, well, listen, I can't just make you better and you stay there where you are. That aspect of your life where you want to do what you want to do and that aspect of your life where you want to please yourself all the time, that eventually is going to have to die. Because if I'm going to use you to do my work, then you have to be willing to submit fully to me and and deny everything that you have. What did Jesus tell his disciples all the time? If you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross and do what? Follow me. That means there has to come a point where that spirit of of iniquity and of sin on the inside of you, as Paul said, that old man, it has to what? Be put to death. It has to die. Why? Because that's the only way the power of Christ can truly be manifested. I'm here to tell you, I know I'm talking to Wednesday night people, so this is, you know, you may think we, we know all this, we're here listening to you. I get it. But let me remind you of something, okay? Let me remind you of something that in order to live for Christ, you have to be willing to die to yourself. You were called out to live differently. You were called that your life actually looks different than the way it did before. Listen, getting saved wasn't just your get-out-of-hell-free card to, to sort of make things right, and you can continue to live the way that you used to live. Amen? Understand this. Sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Paul said the wages of sin is death. That's, what, that's what's going to happen. You're, you're either going to die and you're gonna, your, your life here is going to be without purpose and you're going to spend eternity in torment in hell or you choose to let that part of you die and allow Jesus Christ to raise you up and you get to spend eternity in His kingdom. Amen? There comes a point where we have to allow that aspect of our life to die. When the Spirit convicts us of sin of righteousness and of judgment. It's the passing of the sentence of death upon the sinner. All hope of salvation from any other source had to be abandoned. I don't know who I'm talking to tonight, but I'm I'm, I'm telling you, I feel this strongly. I'm not trying to be weird, but I, I just feel this strongly. Somebody listening to me tonight, you're wondering why things aren't going well for you, why you haven't been able to pull yourself up out of the pit maybe that you're in or out of the battle you're in or out of the, 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 the mire. Maybe you just feel like your soul is in mire. I'm here to tell you, have you fully surrendered everything to Jesus? Or are you still trying to do it your own way? Are you still trying to keep have your cake and eat it too, so to speak? I want to be a part of the kingdom, but I, I need to be able to have my life and my popularity and my dreams and my own personal aspirations. I'm here to tell you, if you're not willing to fully lay those down on the cross, Jesus can't fully have your life. We have to reach that point where we're willing to lay those things down. Paul wrote in Romans 7, I'll read this quickly, Romans 7, verses 7 through 12, it says this, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not, but on the contrary. I would have known sin, or I I would not have known sin, except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law said you shall not covet. 
But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. What he's saying is all those commandments and all those rules and all those things, it sort of put a spotlight on me and I realized, you know what, I really don't want to do any of that stuff. I want to do what I want to do. And so sin produced evil desire, for apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it, it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. We understand that there comes a point when we we see the holiness of God, all the sin has to die. Is this all right so far? All right. Let's move on in John, verse 15. So Jesus says, I'm glad for your sakes I wasn't there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. So now Jesus is, he's waited. They think that, you know, in the flesh, he's wasted all this time. But now he said, all right, it's time to go. Let's go see Lazarus. And so then Thomas, good old Thomas, don't you love having those people in your life? He, you know, he, he literally, he's known as the doubter. And that's really all we really like to say about Thomas. I mean, my goodness. But he's called, he's called the twin. He said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so we can die with him. I mean, I'm <laughs> some of y'all maybe are, are, are those Thomases. I, I, I laugh because I'm kind of in, as a leader, I'm, I'm at my school. And even just today, we have meetings and we're trying to, it's getting in crunch time. We have tests coming up. And I sit there and get in front of groups of kids, and I try to give them that old speech. Come on, guys, y'all can do this. You have it. And they just look back at you like, yeah, right, when's lunch? Then we sit in front of teachers, and we're like, come on. I know y'all tired. I know it's been a long year. We're tired, too. But come on, you just get one more degree. And they just sitting there looking like you. And so I kind of feel sometimes I give speeches and there's Thomases back there that are just like, yeah, we'll just go die with them. Some of y'all, it may be your spouse. I don't know, but whoever it is in your life that you have, you say that thing, you're trying to get them riled up and it's just like, that was Thomas here. But then, nevertheless, they keep going. And so verse 17, Jesus came. He found that he had already been in the tomb, he being Lazarus, four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles away and so many of the Jews they had joined the women around Martha and Mary they were trying to comfort them concerning their brother and then Martha as soon as she heard Jesus was coming went and met him but Mary was sitting at the house. So Martha runs and says to Jesus Lord if you had been here my brother would not have died. Now let me pause right here can we be honest is that okay? If you haven't listened to me a lot, I'm sorry, but I'm a transparent guy. I just like to be real. I don't know any other way to be. Is that okay? Sometimes when I pray, it sounds a lot like that. Not all the time, okay? Not all the time. I've gotten victory in some areas of my life. Hallelujah. But if we're being real, have you ever faced a circumstance that didn't work out the way that you thought it should work out? Is there something that you just knew God was going to do and He decided not to do that specific thing or do it the way that you thought it would and you ever been upset? Just me? Okay. Anybody? And you get 
frustrated with God. God, if you had just done this, I hear people, you know, all the time when I, when I talk with people or when I, when I hear people that are they're sort of venting and they're kind of grieving. I mean, it's how easy is it? God, if you'd have just, man, if you'd have just let my parents live this long, I wouldn't have had to endure the. If this tragedy had not happened, and listen, I, I, I'm telling you, those things are natural. We all get in those moments where, God, if this door would have just opened, if you'd have just let me be there, then we would have been fine. Look, sometimes even in ministry, it's like, God, if you'd have just given me that talent, why don't I have that talent? In a lot of ways, I'm telling Jesus how he should have created and ordained my life, or I'm telling the Lord how he should have ordered my steps. Y'all understand kind of the folly in that? I'm telling God, the designer and the creator of the universe, how he should do things. He doesn't have to listen to anybody, and I'm sure he could find better experts than me. But Martha, just being in her natural sense, she was grieving. She was praying to Jesus, and it was kind of coming out just real. Why? Where were you? We told you in time. Where were you? My brother would be alive if he would have been here. But this is the beauty of that prayer. I've been in that moment, but I'm thankful the Lord allows me to get to verse 22. It's the but. Lord, if you'd have been here, but even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will what? He'll give you. How many of you are thankful for a faith that says, God, I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know why this is happening to me, but God, I'm thankful that I can still depend on you even if things look bleak right now. Amen? That's where he was. That's where she was. And so Jesus said to her, he said, listen, your brother will rise again. So Martha, she said to him, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection. Doesn't she love how Jesus answered questions? They, they never seemed to understand what he meant. Or, or they always like to take it the wrong way. Well, of course he's going to rise again. Yeah, one day there's going to be this great resurrection. People come out of the grave. Yeah, I'm sure that'll be great. But, but I'm still here and I still miss him. Jesus said to him in verse 25 again, No, you don't understand. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall what? Live. Even though you may go through death, you're going to... And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now think about it. On just the surface, this probably was blowing this woman's mind. What? He's dead right now, but you're saying he's going to rise again and live. And you're saying you're the resurrection and the life and uh. But she trusted him. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe you're the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And so when he said these things in verse 28, she went her way and secretly called Mary her sister, saying, The teacher has come. And he's calling for you. And so as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly. She came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into town, but he was in the place where Martha met him outside of town. So the Jews who were with her in the house and comforted her, they saw Mary... Rise up quickly and go out and follow her. They said, hey, she's going to the tomb to weep there. Let's all go. Then Mary came where Jesus was and saw him and she fell down at his feet. Now again, she didn't lose her posture even when she was going through this moment. I want to make sure this is clear. Again, I told you I wouldn't go too far off the side, but I'm doing it again. Can you all forgive me? 
Notice that Mary, just like her sister Martha, was upset because she didn't understand why the miracle didn't come when she wanted it. She didn't understand why it didn't work out exactly the way she wanted it. And she's having to endure the thought for four days that her brother is gone. She's having to endure that sadness and that heartache and that loss. And it's not fair because I knew you could have healed him. We saw you heal all these people, but here you are not here. And she too with the same attitude could have come and said, Jesus, why, 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 why? But how powerful is it before she speaks a word? What does it say she did? She bowed down at his feet. I'm here to tell you, I believe, and we're going to see it here in just a moment, but I believe that the Lord is compassionate. The Bible says that he is close to the brokenhearted. Amen? You may have endured some of the greatest trials of your life. You may have endured incredible heartache where you've been in these moments when you say, God, I don't even know and understand how you can be in the middle of this. But I promise you, if you'll do that and posture yourself still and make Him the Lord of your life, He's much more willing to listen and His compassionate hand is going to reach down and touch you. Make sure you have that posture and understand, Jesus, I don't understand, but Martha said it with her words. Mary's showing it with her posture. She bowed down to him and to his feet. And she said, Lord, again, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she begins to weep. And Jesus saw her weeping. And the Jews who came with her weeping. And notice what it says he did. It says he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Now, I've heard this particular scripture preached several ways. I'm not telling you which one's right or wrong, okay? Now, I've heard people like to get really spiritual with it. And again, it may have been true and say, maybe Jesus groaned because they just didn't have faith. That could be true, okay? I'm not going to argue that. Maybe he was just so sad that they didn't come excited. Jesus, we need you to come raise my brother from the dead. Again, that's a good interpretation that, that, that can be feasible. Does that make sense? Here's just personally what I think. He just saw a woman that was very close to him, a family that was very close to him, who was completely wretched and heartbroken. And Jesus being human, 100% human along with 100% God, felt the incredible compassion that most people would feel when they see someone near them hurting. And he began to groan in his spirit. He became troubled. He became upset. And then he asked, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And then the most famous scripture when I was memorizing scripture as a kid, because that's what everybody wanted to memorize. Jesus wept. They tell you to memorize a scripture, that's the one everybody picked. Why? Because it was easy to remember. Think about it. This is one of the few times where it says, there's one other portion of scripture where it literally talks about Jesus crying and he's weeping. Can I again encourage you today? Again, some of you are thinking, how are you encouraging me with this talk of crying and groaning and death? I'm here to tell you, I don't know how dark and bleak things have gotten for you, but I'm telling you, there's a Savior that loves you as much as He loved that man and He loved them. And that same Savior, I'm not trying to make Him look like He's weak, but I believe he, He's close to the brokenhearted. I believe that He groans for you when we have to endure things. And I believe He's there ready to comfort us when we're going through things. Amen? He's there ready to put His arm around us. He understands when we're in those moments of brokenness. He cares about you. 
It's not just some stoic person ready for us to figure it out. No, He's there and He's groaning and He yearns for you as much as He wants you to yearn for Him. And Jesus begins to cry. He begins to weep. He's feeling the emotion now. And the Jews look at Him and they say, See how He loved Him. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? So the cynics and the haters are out there. So then, verse 38, Jesus again groaning to Himself. Again, I think it's maybe a mixture. Maybe He's sad at the lack of faith of the people around Him, but maybe, just maybe, it's the the weight of knowing the, the pain that they've had to endure. I'm here to tell you, all of us are going to go through seasons where we may have to endure some things. Because it's pressure that creates what God wants us to be, right? A diamond would never be created if pressure wasn't placed on the coal. Gold would never be purified if it didn't have to go through some heat. Is anybody listening to me today? Your soul cannot fully manifest the power of Jesus if it doesn't go through a season where it becomes sick and it has to go through the season where it dies. I'm not talking about your physical body. I'm talking about that old man. And sometimes that season hurts. You're thinking, how does it hurt for me to lay down sin? Because a lot of times that's your identity and you have to deal with that. You have to be willing to lay down identity. You have to be willing to to lay down relationships with people who you put a lot of stock into. That maybe, just maybe, you just have to go a different way. Is this making sense? Sometimes you have to change an entire mindset and a lifestyle. It's not always candy canes and roses. Sometimes you have to deal with yourself because when yourself is changing, you get upset. It's easy to become bitter. You're like, I don't like this. I'd rather go back to what's comfortable. But Jesus knew that they had to go through this, so He was groaning. He comes to the tomb, which was a cave, and there was a stone against it. He says, take away the stone. So Martha, who was His sister, again says, Lord, are you sure about that? He's been in there four days. He's probably, uh, you know, there's probably a stench is what the Scripture says. It's pretty bad. Verse 40, Jesus said, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose them and loose him and let him go. Now let me give you two more points here. I know there's a lot of scripture in between the points, but our soul gets to the point we have to recognize that we have a problem, that's sickness. Like Lazarus, we get to a point where eventually that has to die. We have to endure a death spiritually. But the beauty of dying is because then we can have resurrection. 
Listen, I used to say this a lot, and I'm not saying it just because of what's going on in our uh, society. I'm thankful for what's happened over the last month or two with revivals breaking out, different people having spiritual awakenings in different areas. I'm not here to be a cynic, I promise you. You know, if the Lord's in it, the Lord's in it. You know, I'm glad. Amen? But we love to use the word, especially as I grew up in my spiritual roots of revival. We had to say it like that. It wasn't just revival, it was revival. But we all want revival, but the literal definition of the word revival means something had to be dead. And sometimes, again, in our spiritual roots, we thought it, the dead was a bad thing. It was all just a dead church where somebody then got to the point where they just didn't have any life and they was lukewarm and all this stuff. And I'm not saying those things don't happen, but a lot of times there are things on the inside of us that God wants to kill. Those are the things that need to die spiritually. Are you all with me? The life-giving power of Christ could only be manifested in the case of a dead man. Let me make sure this point is clear one more time, okay? I'm sure if Jesus had His way, maybe, maybe I shouldn't say that, I don't know, maybe I, you, you can... Because Jesus, He did what needed to be glorified, He was wanting to glorify His Father. I kind of wonder if there was a part of Jesus, though, since He was human, that would have rather just seen his friend Lazarus healed without having to go through death and also seeing his friends mourn. Does that make sense? Maybe it's just me speculating. You're thinking there's no more PB overthinking. But I would think that if there was a moment, if Jesus and God were having a conversation, that maybe, you know, that thought would have come up. I know they obviously would have rather not have had to go through him actually dying and seeing it and go through four days of mourning. Does this make sense? I mean, it was even to the point where Jesus was sad and groaning, looking at his friends, sad and groaning. Does this make sense? In other words, it would be great if we didn't have to go through that bad stuff, but if he wouldn't have went through the bad stuff, Jesus wouldn't have been able to do the great, one of the greatest miracles he ever did. In other words, think of it this way. If Lazarus was just sleeping, or he was just dozed off, or he was just in some sort of coma, then Jesus could have just came wake, said, hey, Lazarus, wake up. Would that have been a miracle? Some of y'all do that to your spouse or to your kids every day. In that case, man, I'm a miracle worker because I know how to wake up my house. Amen. No, seriously, I know you may be facetious, but seriously, if he was just asleep or if it was just something minor, would, would, would we be probably talking about it right now? And let's say he had fallen ill with a cold for a day and Jesus went and healed him. I mean, that's great. There's plenty of miracles of healing. But no, this was, he, he had to actually die. I don't, again, I don't know what it is that you may be dealing with, but I feel the Holy Spirit again prompted me just to make, you, you may think and, and have begged and begged and begged, God, why have I had to endure this? How long am I going to have to do, endure this? Why was this the path you chose? I can't sit here and tell you the exact reason. I wish the Lord would, if He gave me a word of knowledge, I'd tell you, but I can tell you this, whatever His purpose is, it's going to be big. Whatever His purpose is, it's great. Whatever His purpose is, is it's going to bring you back to life. That's when the revival people should be excited. If He had not gone through death, He couldn't have been resurrected to life. There would have been no glory to God. You see, Jesus came to save sinners, and there would be no power to those who needed if they wouldn't have believed Him. 
You see, before Paul could say in, in the Scripture, he said, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless, now I live. Before he could say, now I live, he had to what? He had to be crucified. Is this making sense? We, again, have to die to self in order to live for God. Listen, if you refuse to die, you refuse to enter the new fruitful life. What if everything that God had desired and destined you to be is just on the other end of you dying? Not for real, your spirit dying. You die into yourself. Does this make sense? What is that thing that you're still holding on to that God is, is telling you even right now, that Holy Spirit's pricking your heart even right now and saying, listen, that's what you need to let go. That's what I'm waiting for you to let go. That's what I'm ready to bring new life into you. But you've gotta, you haven't let that old man f- fully die. You haven't killed it yet. Why is that so important? Because here's the fourth thing. Are you all with me? Once, once we get through sickness and we've gone through the death, we can be brought back to life. But then once we're brought back to life, though, here's the beauty of it. This is what really excites me. I can find liberty. Everybody say liberty. You know what that means? Freedom. Go back to the Scripture right there. Jesus, when He tells Him to come forth, Lazarus comes out, right? Amen? Lazarus comes out. He's alive. But that wasn't the end of Jesus' commands. What else did he tell them? He said, loose them. I mean, seriously, think about it. Again, y'all think this is PB trying to be facetious and sarcastic and funny again. But, okay, but that's the way I think about it, okay? What good would Lazarus have been if he were alive, but he stayed wrapped up? I mean, can you imagine? You stay there in your stanky grave clothes and you're wrapped up where you can barely move. You're hopping around like the mummy from a movie. But hey, at least you're alive, right? In the seriousness of your soul, there's a lot of people who, who have come to the place where they understand, all right, I want Jesus to, to make me alive. I want to have new life in Jesus. And they allow their spirit to be renewed and they get saved and they come to the saving knowledge of Jesus and they enter the kingdom. But here's, here's something I need you to understand. If you've been raised from the dead by the power of God, you have no business being in bondage to men. Say it again, if you have been raised to, to, to life through the power of God, you have no business being in bondage to man. You have no business being in bondage to any of man's customs or traditions or any of their habits. You know, uh, again, a lot of people who will, will tell you, hey, in order to be saved, you've got to follow this tradition and look this way and do this and do that and do that. And, and, and a lot, they're just heaping on grave clothes to, to a risen person. We get into bondage where you have to prayeth like this and you have to readeth the Bibleeth like this. You have to dresseth like this. You have to talketh like this. You need to sit in a certain spot. You know, you need to only come at a certain time. You are thinking, this is crazy. But that's the bondage that some people have allowed themselves to be placed into. I'm here to tell you, you're free. Who the Son has set free is what? So yeah, you could say, man, I've come to Jesus, but man, this habit is still holding on to me. That's not what God raised you to be. He didn't raise you just so you could still be bound by that habit that, that the enemy is still trying to hold on to. You can be free from that, amen? Listen.
listen, you can be free from the opinions of people. Now, I'm not, so, I always am careful when I say this because a lot of people are like, man, I don't care what anybody thinks. And that's just an excuse for them to be a jerk to everybody. <laughs> just be real. I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. You don't need to be free to be able to tell anybody off. That's not freedom. That's, that's bondage to being a jerk. You can quote PB on that. That there is a freedom that comes that I'm going to live the life that God has called me to be and I'm going to do the things that God's called me to do. And even if there's men that may not approve of what I'm doing, as long as I'm pleasing the Lord, I'm okay with people not liking or disagreeing with what I'm doing. I'm not going to be bound by their opinion. Does that make sense? There's a freedom in that. It's not a freedom that I, can tell, I still love them and I still want to have a relationship with everybody that I'm in contact with, but there comes a point we have to be set free. Amen? Liberty is what you have. I'm going to skip ahead here. Let's go to John 12, and I think I just told them to bring up John 11. But go with me if you have your Bibles, John 12. I want to show you something. So then, after that happens, this is a great miracle, and to sum up the rest of John 11, you can read... Basically, at the, this point, they say, people realize, whoa, this Jesus is something. They just saw him raise somebody from the dead. And so the Jews start to get mad. And now they say, we got to get rid of him. And that's where the plot to kill Jesus really begins. And so we skip ahead to John 12. And then it says this in verse 1, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. And there they made him a supper, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Here's what's cool. Lazarus was not only raised from the dead, and they saw him, and he took off his clothes, and everybody clapped, and if they had phones back then, they'd be taking selfies. Oh, look at me, Lazarus! woo Selfie with Lazarus, getting a bunch of likes. I mean, <laughs> I was there. it pop up in their memories forever. But no, just a few verses later, now that same man, he, he didn't just end there. He's sitting at the table. He's eating. He's hanging out. It wasn't a facade. It wasn't like a magic trick. It wasn't an illusion. This wasn't David Copperfield in Las Vegas. This was a man who was dead who came to life. And now he's sitting there eating. Here's the next point I want you to understand. That death is going to lead you to life and it's going to lead you to liberty. And then if you live free, you can live in communion. That means that not only am I free, but now I get to actually hang out and spend time and communicate and be in the presence of the Almighty God. How powerful is that? What a privilege it is that we're able to actually spend time in the presence of God and have communion with Him. He's not some distant God who said, all right, I saved you, now figure out the rest on your own. I'm going to go back here and help somebody else. No, not only is He going to save you, but He wants to hang out with you and talk to you every day. Then I want to go to verse 9 in John 12. It says this, skipping down a little bit. Now a great many of the Jews knew that He was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom He had raised from the dead. Hey, these people wanted to see Him. Again, not just trying to be silly or facetious, but if I walked through the line at the funeral home and saw somebody lying in the casket and I heard they was up eating with somebody four days later, I'd probably want to go check that out too. But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also. I kind of find that funny. Hey, let's kill him. Wait a minute. He already, anyway. 
They plotted to put him to death. Why? Because on account of him, in verse 11, many of the Jews went away and what? They believed in Jesus. Again, if Jesus had just wakened him up from his sleep, or if it had just been a cold, the people may have thought, well, you can't argue with somebody who laid in a grave four days and is now sitting there eating and walking around. And They knew that this was the Christ, and they knew that we can't have this. The beauty of it is once you go through this, not only will you have communion, but the Lord will give you a testimony. The Bible says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and what? The word of our testimony. We overcome because Jesus overcame. Hallelujah. But it doesn't stop there. We overcome because not only He he, he rose from the dead, but now I have a testimony to show how it's affected me. There's a testimony. Listen, the power of His testimony, this is important too. The power of His testimony didn't lay so much in what He said, but it was in who He was. The the, the testimony of Lazarus wasn't about what He said. Honestly, Scripture isn't saying that Lazarus just went and got up on the street corner and said, My Lord, I was dead. I was deader than dead. I was stinking. I was dead. But now I'm alive. He didn't get on the street corner and start all that. Amen? But he just kept living. And he allowed the actual fact that he was alive and that he was, he, was, he was a living example. And he just allowed what he did to be the example. Listen, so many of us, it is important for us to be able to speak and to talk to people and tell people what the Lord has done. But I'm here to tell you the greatest testimony you can have is just simply let people see you living out a new life. You go out to those people who knew you back then and they see you a changed person. Guess what? You don't have to preach a three-point sermon. You can just simply live in front of them and they say, something's different. You just simply live out what the Word has, has taught us to do and what the Lord has called us to be. And guess what? People will take notice. Again, I don't... I'll give you an example today. You know, I don't, I, I, I talked about being at school and being a principal and I kind of joke around. My principal kind of sometimes likes to joke around with people about me being a preacher. He's like, oh, there's my preacher over there. I can't talk like I want to talk. We sort of joke around about that sometimes, but I'll be honest. I don't go around every, you know, teacher I have. Oh, bless you. You're, you know, I don't go around preaching kids sermons every time. Well, you know what the Lord says. Does that make sense? Again, I'm being transparent and real. I don't, I don't, I don't go around trying to spiritualize everything. I, I'm, I am who I am. And just today, there was some testing about to happen in a room, and it wasn't anything super formal. It wasn't anything. But a teacher comes and grabs me and pulls me into the room and says, they about to test. You're going to pray. I said, okay. May not even be super legal. I don't know. There wasn't any other kids in the room. It was just me and some adults. And guess what we did? We prayed. Did we pray because I went around and told them, well, anytime you need me to pray, I'm the one to... No. You know what I do? I just live and be who God's called me to be. And guess what happens? People recognize it. I promise you. I don't, I'm not trying to say that to make me seem like I'm something great. I'm just telling you, the Lord has shown me this in my life. 
All you have to do is live in front of people. You don't have to put a fancy title on your name and convince people that there's something in the inside of you. You just continue to live and walk in, in, in what it is that the Lord has called you to be. And guess what? He'll open up the doors for you to be who He's called you to be. It's a lot less about what you say you are and a whole lot more about what you are. That makes sense? Last thing. I told you this would be super encouraging, so we're going to end on the last thing. Lazarus had a testimony. They knew that he was a recipient of the mighty resurrective power of God. And as a result of that, there was a bounty put on his head. <laughs> so be encouraged. Why can I say be encouraged? <laughs> because now he was going to get to be a part of Christ's suffering. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and celebrate in his suffering. Amen? Count it all joy to suffer in Christ's name. Amen? That's what the Bible says. His old life brought no persecution. They weren't going around and throwing eggs at Lazarus' house. But once he died and Jesus brought him back to life and his life became an example and a witness and showed people Jesus, guess what? The, the haters came out. But now he has the happiness of those who are reproached for the name of Christ. I'm here to tell you, I don't know where we're going. I don't know what... We'll see before our lives end. I always joke and talk. I know we're in the Bible Belt. It's a little bit different. But, I mean, honestly, it, every single moment we live seems to creep farther and farther to there coming a point where you may face some serious persecution for claiming Jesus. And if we're not talking about the kind that where they want to put you to death, I mean, you go into certain circles and walk into certain circles and see when they realize you're one of them and see how people start acting. I'll be real honest, for every story of me being asked to pray in a classroom out of the blue and Christ being glorified, I have dozens more of me walking into a circle and everybody just all of a sudden getting quiet. And walking into a room and all of a sudden the conversation just drifts and people walk off. Not because I didn't bathe that day, it's because the, 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 the spirit on the inside of me wasn't conducive with what they were doing. Does that make sense? Again, I don't say that to pump me up. I'm telling you, though, when we get to a place where we fully allow the Lord to, to, to raise us to life, we have to understand it's going to come with a joy that, you know what? I'm suffering with Him. Whatever happens, I'm going to go with Him because He gave me life. If He's willing to give me life at the moment when this physical life does end, it's not the end of my life. My life's eternal and I get to spend forever and ever and ever in His kingdom. Will you stand with me tonight? I'll ask you to bow your heads and your hearts with me. As I always say, I hope it makes sense. But again, just for, for a moment, I'm going to ask you to invite Holy Spirit to begin to search your heart. Again, not so flippantly, I'm not sure where each person that comes in here may be standing. I know this is a midweek, it's a Wednesday night. I'm, 
A lot of you may be saved and you've given your heart to God, but Holy Spirit keeps bringing me back to this this issue where some of you kind of know the path. You've been brought to the path. You know where God wants to take you. You know those things in your life that He's ready for you to let go of. But you just haven't. You know your soul is sick. It needs healing and it needs the medicine that is the blood of Jesus. But you haven't been willing to let that old man die in order for him to bring you back to life. So even right now in these moments, I'm not trying to be manipulative and I'm not trying to play on anyone's emotions. whatever those areas of your life that Holy Spirit may be highlighting I'm asking you tonight right there where you are make that an altar and give that to the Lord let that old man die because the Lord is ready to raise you up and make you a new creation and once that happens the Lord will give you the freedom that you're looking for you don't no longer have to stay in those chains of bondage of man's opinions or of habits or anything else the enemy's trying to tie you down. You'll be free to live the life that God has designed and destined you to live. Father God, I thank you tonight for who you are. I thank you for your many blessings. I thank you for your spirit that's moving in this place, your presence here on earth. Father, your word says we were, we were born in the sin. Our flesh was born in the sin. But Father, we thank you that Holy Spirit has convicted us and shown us that we need a Savior. Father, for anyone under the sound of my voice that is yet to make that proclamation, Holy Spirit, I pray that you convict now, that they begin to call out your name. If your word says if, you'll con- if we'll confess our sins to you and profess that you are the Lord of our lives, that Father, we'll be a part of your kingdom. Father, there's some, Father, that, Lord, they've prayed a prayer or they've, they've, they're here tonight because they know that they need you and they're doing everything they can to, to be with you. But, Father, they're just those things that they're holding on to that's keeping that old man alive. Holy Spirit, I pray that you convict and you break those strongholds now in the name of Jesus and allow those things to be killed off our lives. Father, I pray that you bring resurrected life into each and every person that's here tonight. We thank you for the liberty. Help us, Lord, to break those grave clothes and those chains that the enemy, even, even, if we've, even now, even those who have been a part of the kingdom, Father, the enemy wants to keep us tied up and bound and slow us down. We ask for those things to be loosed today in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that you would give us a hunger and a desire to commune with you, to talk with you, to spend time in your presence, God that our spirits can be made whole and we can feed and feast on your presence. And lastly, no matter what may happen here on this earth, Father, help us to count it joy to suffer with you. We may not be the popular ones in our circle anymore. Father, we may not be the ones that get all the invites. And Father, things may seem a little different around those we used to hang out with, but Father, it's all worth it because we get a new life with you. I pray, Lord, that you will draw us closer to you as we celebrate the resurrection that we have. In Jesus' name, and everybody here said, amen, amen. God bless you. So glad you're here tonight. Y'all go give the devil fits this week.